Well, the Apostle Paul often describes the Christian life in terms of the metaphor of athletics. He uses that repeatedly over and over, and we see that again here. The race that he was running, he was aiming to win at. There was a grave marker found at the Olympia in Greece for a boxer named Agathos Damon in the ancient world, and it said this, Here he died boxing in the stadium, having prayed to Zeus for a wreath or death. Age 35, farewell. He was aiming to win. He wanted to win the top prize, as the Apostle Paul did. And you may remember, if you're old like me, the 1996 Olympics that had the Nike ad that ran continually, and it said, you do not win the silver medal, you lose the gold. You do not win the silver medal, you lose the gold. First place is everything. That's what they were trying to relate. Anyways, and if you are competitive, like I am, then first place is the ultimate. If you're second, you might as well be last. It's kind of meaningless. I don't like participation ribbons, participation badges. First place is what we aim for when we go in some sort of event. And I always hated it when a parent or a teammate would say, well, at least you're guaranteed a silver medal when you made the finals, right? You've heard that before. At least you're guaranteed a silver medal. No way. We want the gold. We are in an event. We are competing. If you're competitive, you want to win. And the Apostle Paul was striving to win a particular prize. And in the ancient world, there were four major athletic games that were dedicated to different gods. And athletes in the ancient Greece would converge on the Isthmian Games every two years during the spring. And this was located near Corinth. And we can see that passage that we read earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Perhaps the Apostle Paul had these games in mind as he was writing these different things. But they would participate in different things like chariot races and running, of course, and wrestling, boxing, discus, javelin, long jump, poetry reading, even singing if you can believe it. We're part of the Olympic Games in the ancient world. And you can read all about that on your spare time. But in the modern Olympic Games, we have gold, silver, and bronze. But in the ancient world, there was just one prize, the top prize. And you know what it often was? Dried celery sticks. A wreath of dried celery sticks or an evergreen wreath that it changed to later on. So you... Can you imagine this boxer giving his life for dried celery sticks? Dried celery sticks. But of course, it is a a symbol of winning that top prize. That was the important thing, much like trophies in in our major sports nowadays. They're not real important in and of themselves, other than that they symbolize something of great importance. So Paul could have had that mind when he penned those words. In a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. And we saw last time in in Philippians chapter 3 and verses 1 through 11 that Paul realized that for his entire life, he was pursuing God in the entire wrong way. He had the utmost sincerity He was very religious. He followed the law. And yet, he was wrong his entire life. And that realization changed everything for Paul. 
When the Lord Jesus Christ met him on the road to Damascus, life would never be the the same. The things that he thought were important in terms of being a good Jew and law-keeping were not. They were not important at all any longer. They evaporated in an instant. And the very thing that he was trying to eradicate from the face of the earth, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, became of paramount importance to him. In an instant, he saw everything with new spiritual eyes, though he had been blinded. And he began a lifelong pursuit of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection. Paul knew that there's no power in the law, but because he was now in Christ, he had the very resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ indwelling him. And if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ here tonight, you have that same power indwelling you in the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought about that? That you have that resurrection power within you. A resurrection power that helps you and enables you and quickens you in temptation, through trials, to walk a holy life, to walk in a manner that's pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Like Paul, we have experienced that resurrection power when we were saved. And we see Paul write about that in Romans 6, verses 4 and 5. In salvation, we are identified with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. We have that power within us. And now you might say, if I have all that power within me, why do I feel so weak? And that's a good question. We're going to circle back to that at the end. If that is you, if you feel weak, then I'm glad to hear it. If you are dissatisfied with your Christian life, I'm glad to hear it. Because that's the very essence of what the Apostle Paul begins with in this passage. A a dissatisfaction with where he is at. And if we want to be Christ-like, we need a holy dissatisfaction with where we are at. And we see that in verse 12a and 13a. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect. In verse 13a, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Aren't you so very glad that the Scriptures don't portray people in the Bible as perfect? That we see people with all sorts of flaws in the Bible? It's very relatable to us. We see the Apostle Paul talking about his weakness, talking about trials and difficulties, and we can relate to that. Because all of us sitting here have trials and have difficulties in our lives. How do we deal with those things? Paul knew that the spiritual realities of his eternal salvation were fixed. Were fixed. Eternally fixed. All of those benefits of salvation eternally fixed because of what Christ had done to him. They can't be improved upon. But what can be improved upon is our walk, our holiness in this world and in this life. That can and should be improved upon. And so because our salvation is fixed, that doesn't mean that we can be complacent in this world. We need to be vigilant in this world. And though Paul knew much of the grace of God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, his knowledge was incomplete. It would be completed one day, like ours will be. But the more he knew of the Lord Jesus Christ, the more he wanted. Is that our, our heart's disposition here tonight? 
That what we know of the Lord Jesus Christ is but a taste and we want more and we want more. Paul says that he had not yet attained the prize that he was in full pursuit of. We see in 12b, he says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The one who had revealed himself 30 years prior to this on the road to Damascus, that one made him his own and he was seeking him, pursuing him from that day on, pursuing him with all of his might to win that prize. Not to gain merit and salvation and grace, but to win that prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. And we're going to look at what that means in a moment. But the closer he got to Christ, the more he saw his need for Christ. As one commentator said, commentator said, this pursuit by the power of the sanctifying spirit produces a decreasing frequency of sin and an increasing love for holiness, which makes less sin feel like more. Do you ever feel that way? You're living your life, you've been justified, you're, you're being sanctified, and yet the closer you get to Christ, the more sinful you feel. Because the more that sin gets exposed by the light of who our Lord Jesus Christ is. The closer we get to Christ, the more we see our need for Christ. And the more of Him we want. And Paul had a holy dissatisfaction with where he was at. He wanted more. And that is the first thing that we need, a holy dissatisfaction with where we are at in our Christian life in order to pursue this kind of Christ-likeness. And the second thing we, we need to pursue Christ-likeness is a determination of mind. So a dissatisfaction and a determination of mind. We see that in verse 13a. I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. One thing I do, determination of mind. Paul was resolute in his determination. And those who excel in athletics have that singular focus in their life. They eat, they train, they sleep, they do all of these things in focus to be ready when it comes time to hit the the football field or the soccer field or the ice sheet or whatever they're doing. They train and they excel in athletics because that is of singular focus to them. And that means that athletes have to say no to a lot of things. If you were ever a competitive athlete, you know that. There are events that you skip and you miss. There are birthday parties, perhaps, when you're a child that you have to skip and miss. A lot of different things that you miss out on and you have to say no to in order to pursue that one thing, that one goal. And to be spiritually healthy, we do the same in our lives. There are things that we must say no to that become distractions to us in our pursuit of Christ-likeness. They take away our focus from where it should be. And we can fill our lives with all sorts of stuff. It doesn't necessarily have to be sinful stuff. It can be just busy stuff that distracts us and takes, takes away that focus from pursuing the Lord the way we ought to. It could be social media. It could be a particular relationship. It could be Netflix. It could be all sorts of things. It could be sports, shopping, all kinds of things. Fill in the blank with virtually anything that if we are not careful, like these things in their proper place are fine, but if we are not careful, that use can become misuse. And so we have to guard against that. Time spent. Are we 
becoming complacent in our Christian life? Are we allowing those spiritual disciplines to slip? Are we pursuing Christ or are we hindered in our pursuit of Christ by so many of these different things that want to engage us in this world? The Apostle Paul said, one thing I do. He was resolute. And I read this week from Proverbs 4, 25-27. It says, Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. You probably, most of you have seen the illustration of the business professor online who was trying to illustrate time management to his students. And so he had a big, wide mouth waste mason jar and he put large rocks inside of it until it was full to the brim. And he asked the class, is it full? And some people said, yeah, of course it's full. Others says, no, it's not full. And so he took smaller gravel, pea gravel, and he filled in all the spaces inside all around the large the large rocks and he shook it and everything settled and it was filled to the brim of the small rocks and the large rocks and he asked, is it full? And of course they began to think about it and said, no, it's not full. And so he poured sand in and again shook it all up and poured sand until it was full to the brim and he asked them, is it full? And they said, no, it's not full. And so he poured water in and filled it right to the brim and he said, okay, how does this relate to time management. What is the point? And one bright young student said, well, no matter how busy you are, you can always fit more in. (laughs) Is that the lesson that he's trying to teach them in time management? No, that is not the lesson, but that is how we so often feel that there's always more things cramming in it. But no, the professor said, if you don't put the big rocks in first, you will never get them in after. And by the big rocks, he was trying to illustrate the priorities and the focus, the big things in our lives. If we don't get those things in, straightened out, prioritized, focused in on first, then all of that other stuff um, isn't going to help us in our Christ-likeness, in our Christ-like walk. If we want to be a better husband or a father, we need to pursue Christ-likeness. We want to be a better wife or mother. We need to pursue Christ-likeness. If you want to be a better anything, fill in the blank. We need to pursue Christ with all of our might. And all of these other things will fall into place. They will have their proper priority in our lives. And maybe some of us, the reason why we're not doing well, the reason why we might feel that we are in chaos, is because our lives are so completely out of whack. Our priorities are all messed up. And Paul says, one thing I do. And so we see here dissatisfaction, determination, and that leads to direction, to a new direction. And we see that in the life of the Apostle Paul. This world is full of all sorts of bad advice. Turn on social media, turn on the news, all sorts of bad advice, bad directions all over the place. You may not believe it, but when I was a youngster, my friends and I used to find joy out of giving people bad directions. Elderly couple <laughs> would pull over and say, hey, hey uh, young men, could you, uh, could you help us get to uh, Como Lake, for instance? 
Uh, yes, you, uh, you turn down Gatonsbury Hill, you go to the bottom to St. John's Avenue, and, and when you get to Port Coquitlam, you're halfway there. That's evil, isn't it? Very evil. And so if you were looking for directions and you were looking for Coma Lake and wound up at Lafarge Lake 40 years ago, I apologize for giving you those bad, bad directions. But bad directions are all around us. Confusion is all around us in our society. And the Apostle Paul says that if you have a holy dissatisfaction with your Christian life and are determined to make Christ's likeness your life's pursuit, you will be set off on a whole new direction. One thing I do, he says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Now that sounds like two things, doesn't it? One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, that's one thing, and straining forward to what lies ahead. It's not really two things that he's getting at here. He's getting at the one thing, and it's the second thing. Set aside the past. I've been a Christian for 30 years, he says. I've preached the gospel. I've seen many lives changed, transformed. I've taught people. I've healed people. I've done all these things, but I'm putting those things behind and I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. And so we see those two ideas here, the, the one negative and the one positive put before us in this verse. The negative, forgetting what lies behind. Now, strictly speaking, he's talking about all of those good things that he's done, though there is a wider application we'll get to in a few moments but the positive straining forward to what lies ahead that's the one thing that's his life's pursuit straining forward to what lies ahead now what lies ahead he tells us that next if we're going to pursue Christ's likeness we need that dissatisfaction determination new direction which will also include dedication over time and we see that in verse 14 so that's another d dedication over time i press on he said that's the same words he used in in verse 12 i press on in verse 13 straining forward the apostle paul was always moving forward it's one of the things i love about him he despite hardships and trials he's always advancing he's always moving forward he's straining forward for what dried celery an evergreen wreath? No. He is straining forward for something far greater, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul knew that he was not perfect on this earth, but that he would be in heaven. We will be perfect in heaven. And one day he would receive his prize, that Christ-likeness and all of its benefits would be his. He would attain it. That would be his reward when he crossed the finish line. When his race was over, he would receive that crown of righteousness that he spent his whole life pursuing. He says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8, this could be Paul's epitaph, his dying words as he writes to Timothy in his last epistle that he wrote. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, listen up for those of us here, not just Paul, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. We're going to receive that prize too. That crown of righteousness 
will be ours. And to help us to be more Christ-like, there are also new associations that we need. We see in verse 15, this transition that he has from I, which he used six times in verses 12 to 14, to us, to us. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Christ-likeness is lived out in the church. It's not done in isolation. We do it within the context of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though faith is personal, God has designed us to be part of a community of believers. To be loved and encouraged and prayed for and helped along in our Christian walk. We are all at different places and run at different we are all in different places and run at different paces. And so we need to be mindful of that and have grace with one another. Picking up those people that might be behind us, reaching forward to those who might be ahead of us, and all of us carried along as we move towards that heavenly kingdom. Pursuing Christ likeness means that we need to spur one another on to love and to good works. Spur one another on to love and to good works, preferring one another, as Paul said earlier in the epistle. Pursuing Christ-likeness means dissatisfaction, determination, direction, dedication, new associations. You can see I deviated from the Ds because I couldn't come up with one to encapsulate that point of the church. New associations. Why? So that we do not fall into declension. We see that in verse 16. Paul's declension prevention program, I call it. That's what these verses are. If you want to prevent declension in your life, follow this pattern that we see here in the Apostle Paul. Verse 16. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. No slipping back. No slacking off. No declension. Some are in declension. Some have stopped coming to church. And that declension didn't begin with them stopping coming to church. That declension usually begins with people slacking off on the spiritual disciplines of prayer, of Bible reading, of going to Bible studies during the week, of communicating with their brothers and sisters. All of these different things And then it winds up in this place where people stop coming to church. And maybe you've seen your own heart starting to drift. What should you do? What should you do if you feel yourself starting to drift? Well, to continue the metaphor of of athletics, you need to exercise. You need to exercise. And what do we do? Do you ever notice that the more physical exercise you get, the more you want? The more you get into that pattern of doing it, the better it feels, the better you feel. And it's the same thing in the spiritual realm. The more we engage with the Lord Jesus Christ, the more of Him we know, the more we want. The more we read our Bibles, the more we pray, the more we want to do those disciplines. The more we share the gospel with people around us, the more we want to share the gospel with people around us. We can prevent declension in these different ways. The more we are fed and nourished on spiritual things, the more spiritual nourishment we will crave. 
And then the opposite is also true. The less we do of those things, the less desire we have in our own hearts to do those things. Like Paul, the more of Christ he had, the more of Christ he wanted. And so we need the means of grace. We need the Word. We need sacraments. We need prayers. We need the church. We need to serve and use our gifts. We need one another. We can't do it alone. Just like exercising is a lot more fun, going for a run is a lot more fun with someone else than it is alone, so we need the church alongside of us to help us in this Christ-likeness pursuit that we have. We need to remember that we've been bought with a price and therefore we ought to glorify God in our bodies. Paul's declension prevention program is what we see here in these verses. Pursuing Christ-likeness means that we do not fall into declension. We are pursuing Christ. We hold true to what we have attained. We do not slip back. Now just a couple of uh, words of application as we uh, begin to close our time here. Paul had a past. And it was a past of sin. It was a past of sorrow. It was a past of heartbreak. But that didn't hold him back in his Christ-likeness pursuit. In wanting to be more like Christ and wanting more of Christ, those things did not hold him back. What's holding you back from pursuing Christ with all of your might, the way the Apostle Paul does? Circumstances, people, the past, What's holding you back from pursuing Christ the way that Paul did? For Paul, it wasn't circumstances. He talked about that in chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. He said in spite of his imprisonment, the gospel was going forward. The gospel is advancing. It wasn't people in Paul. Paul spoke about difficult people in chapter 1, verses 15 to 18. It wasn't difficult people in his life that were holding him back. The gospel was still being proclaimed and in that he rejoiced. Let's be really honest. The reason why we are so often held back is because of our sins. Because of our sins. Our sinful hearts hold us back. We are in love with sin. Our love of sin in its various forms. The idolatry in its various forms. And this cripples us spiritually. And the church is full of spiritual cripples. It can take different forms. Some people are spiritually crippled because they're holding grudges against a brother or a sister. Some people are spiritually crippled because they're bitter against God or against other people. Some people are crippled because they're self-centered. Some people are crippled because they're angry, lustful, grumbling, complaining. Did you notice uh, in those verses that we read in 1 Corinthians 10 that Grumbling was listed alongside of idolatry and sexual immorality. Grumbling. Why would that be? Why is grumbling such a serious sin in the Bible? Because ultimately our grumbling is against who? It's against God. We're grumbling. We're not submitting. We're grumbling against God and His providences at work within our lives. We're grumbling against a station in life that we might be in and we don't like it. We grumble about our circumstances. We grumble about other people in our life that create 
difficulties for us. This grumbling ultimately is against God and His providence is at work in the present or in the past. And so how can we pursue Him fully in the future? How do we do that? Well, unlike the Apostle Paul and unlike the Lord Jesus Christ who submitted to the Father's will, though it meant great pain and suffering, we see that from Gethsemane through to the cross, we often choose sin over submission. We often choose sin over submitting to the Lord and His will, and that is why we are weak. That is why we are weak, because we choose sin over submitting to the Lord and His providences and different things that are going on in our lives. And we need to lay those things aside. We need to put them aside. We need to submit to those frowning providences that might be in our lives circumstantially now or through people. We need to submit to the Lord in those things. And of course, we need to lay aside those sins which so easily entangle us. We need to confess them. We need to forsake them. And the Lord's table that's now before us and we'll partake of in a few moments is a great time to do that. And I hope when you come through that door and you see that table spread, I hope that something happens within your heart. I hope that something happens where you acknowledge and you realize that you are a sinner in need of this sacrament of grace, this grace that's conferred through the sacrament of the Lord's table. We need that grace within our lives. We need that encouragement. We need that strengthening within us. But the enemy of the souls, our souls, wants to continue to to get us to try to run our race with a pack on our back. Just like Pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress with the pack on their back. Sometimes it can feel that way in our lives that we are running this Christian race with so much weight on our backs. And we need to relinquish it to the Lord. But that is the way the enemy wants us to run. David Paulison, Christian counselor, says, The enemy, that is Satan, the enemy minds you, finds you, winds you and dines you, blinds you, binds you, and finally grinds you. Doesn't it feel that way sometimes? That the enemy pursues us in that way. He minds you, he finds you, he winds you and dines you, he blinds you, binds you, and finally grinds you. Now, I don't know where you are in that regression. I don't know if you're blinded by sin, bound by regrets, ground down by guilt, by failures. But I do know this, that a healthy way to look back is with gratefulness and thankfulness for Christ and the salvation He's attained for us, the righteousness He's imputed to us, And though we are not yet what we hope to be, we are not what we were. Or what we will be one day with that crown of righteousness upon our heads. Christ Jesus has made us His own. We are in Christ. He has laid hold of us and He will keep hold of us unto that great day. We've been born again to a living hope. Let's not lose sight of that hope tonight. If you feel like you are bound and you're being ground, then relinquish that tonight. Confess and forsake your sin tonight and freely partake of the Lord's table. 
knowing the freedom of the forgiveness of your sins that is ours in Christ. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we do thank you for these many truths that the Apostle Paul teaches us and we pray that we would learn them and learn them well. That we might be able to run and run freely this race that is set before us. All because of what Christ has done in us and for us and what Christ will do for us on that great day when we will be relieved of all the burdens of this life and receive that crown of righteousness that, are, that is ours in Christ. We thank you in Christ's precious name. Amen. I'll now invite the office bearers to come forward as we partake at the Lord's table. You know the words of institution that are found in 1 Corinthians 11. But those words of institution also include words